This is a Podfire production. Hi, I'm Ryan and welcome to the New Nirvana podcast, where we dive into everything to do with mental health and well-being. Anything that can improve your life, we're here to talk about. All right, welcome to New Nirvana podcast. This week we've got Adam Holio on the show. Welcome, Adam. Hey, mate. How are you? Good, mate. So, Adam is uh, probably best known for his uh, cricket career, uh, English cricket captain for how many how many years, mate? No, oh, between ninety seven and oh, ninety six and ninety nine. Yeah, nice. Yeah. And so also done uh, mixed martial arts, professional uh, mixed martial artist as well. Yeah, and boxing and yeah. boxing too. Yeah. <laughs> so what were you doing all them at the same time, or is it just or is this, is this like an after thing? Um, no, I did cricket. I, I I used to do boxing when I was a kid before yep. I turned professional as a cricketer. Um, Parents weren't particularly keen on that, so um, they put an end to it. And then, obviously, when you start doing one sport professionally, it's pretty hard to do two. So I finished my cricket career in 2004 and then um, had a crack at boxing first and then MMA. So Yeah, which one did you find was harder, out of boxing and MMA? Uh, they're just different. They're just different. I mean, they're just different skills. So there's probably obviously a lot more skills to learn in um, mixed martial arts yeah but obviously you become if you know there's only eight punches in boxing so if you people get very good at that so it's um yeah i found i probably found boxing harder i felt like um with mma you could get away with a bit more but um i think the, the boxing maybe the standard in australia is higher in boxing at the moment than mixed martial arts yeah, okay. Uh, I know the standard for boxing in England um, is way higher than what it is here from what I've heard. Uh, I know uh, an English boxing uh, guy and he's saying that he could box, like have three fights a week, whereas in Australia you'd be struggling to find a competition to fight three times a week. Is that is Oh, that yeah, you struggle to find one three times a year. Yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, I think it's probably a mixture of things, bigger population. Yeah. Um, Probably, probably not. I mean, you guys have got uh, AFL here as well, which is, takes a big part of the sporting population. So, yeah, in England, it's basically soccer, uh, rugby union, a little bit of rugby league. But then, other than that, probably boxing's up there. Well, you know, whereas out here in Australia, there's I feel like there's just a bit more mainstream sports. Yeah, and then a smaller population. So therefore, the amount of people that end up actually doing the combat sports is less. Yeah, okay. Uh, so it says that you're a cricket all-rounder, mate. So what do, you, do you consider yourself more a batsman or a bowler? Um, that's an interesting one, actually. Um, in test matches or, you know, first-class four-day cricket, um, <coughs> I probably consider myself a batsman who bowled. Um, but in one-day cricket, I was probably just equal. Um, yeah. Batter, stroke bowler, I'd always be picked in the side to bowl my 10 overs or in one 2020 my four overs so i uh, probably felt like i was a genuine all-rounder in that stuff but in test cricket or you know first class four-day cricket i probably felt i was a batsman who could bowl a bit yeah okay so what's your um career like against australia actually weird because <laughs> um i have to ask this one yeah well um that's the funny one because during the time that i played australia were like incredibly dominant like the best side by quite a fair way. Yeah. 
Um, but my record against Australia is actually better than the other side. So, yeah, right. Um, so was that uh, that would have been back with uh, was the War Brothers still playing then? Yeah. Uh, Warney, um, Ponting. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so they were they had a very strong side back yeah, then. Yeah, incredible. Definitely. McGrath. Ben McGrath, yep. Yeah, Gillespie, um, Adam Gilchrist. Yeah. yeah so it's, just, oh, it's arguably the greatest side of all time. I mean, you, the only side that probably challenges it would be the West Indies side in the 70s and 80s. So they're arguably, you know, they're the side, there's the two sides that people call the greatest sides of all time. So Yeah. Did you yeah. have any beef with anyone um, out there on the pitch, mate? Did you get a, um, you know, there's a lot of sledging that goes on there. A lot of it's uh, fun and games, but um, yeah. sometimes it seems like it can get a bit of, out of control. Um, I think there's a sort of misconception that more gets said than, than actually does. Probably does in club cricket, and I think that's <laughs> probably because club cricket, they see the odd thing that happens in an international game, and they think that's happening all the time, but it's pretty rare. Um, there's a little bit of gamesmanship, I'd call it, that goes on, but I feel by the time people get to international cricket that they've seen it all before and everyone who's there is pretty, you know, you've got to be a half-decent player to play international cricket in yeah, the first of place. Course, yeah. So, you know, a little bit of sledging is probably... I never felt that it bothered people too much. So nah, it, um, it went on, but it tended to be more more funny than... Than anything else? To, yeah, just a bit of something to break the monotony. If you're playing five days of cricket, I think you need something to <laughs> make the time pass. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I definitely. Spe- uh, I know I haven't played much cricket myself, but I know when uh, when you're out there, out the out in the field, waiting for a ball to come to you, you can get a bit boring and stuff. So you got to try and uh, make the make the day go, I suppose. That's it. So yeah, <coughs> yeah people, it's, it's sort of different. It's interesting. Some people use it to try and unsettle the other person. Some people use it to try and get themselves motivated, to try and keep themselves interested. Um, and some people just use it just to pass the time because they're bored, I think. So yeah, it's in a number of ways. It's quite interesting that Australian side from the 90s, uh, especially, you know, Warnies and people like that, are always the fingers pointed at them for um, sledging and what have you. I mean... I, I grew up in Australia, so I didn't particularly find it that bad. Uh, I actually, thought, I just thought they were just funny guys. Yeah, um, okay. And I think it's a little bit of Australian culture. Just that, having a joke. Yeah. yeah, and they're just trying to pass the time. So if they could unsettle people along the way, they did. But it's quite interesting. Like you see the media, they make it out to be a big deal. Oh, you know. Warnings. The media making things out to be worse than what it is? Really? <laughs> <laughs> Who would have yeah, thought? Surprise, surprise. <coughs> <yeah. coronavirus>. <laughs> 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 uh, <Exactly. laughs> Scrap that one, Ziggy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so um, I did. So you grew up in Australia? I grew up till I was 12 in Australia, and then I went to England. So yep. I grew up And with the name Holyoke, uh, that sounds very uh, Polynesian to me. So very, was that New, Z- New Zealand or where, where's Holyoke from? I don't know. Um, I'm not sure. Well, my dad was from Ballarat, so yeah. Uh, I know there was a prime minister of uh, New Zealand that was a Holyoke. Um, yeah, okay. I think that was before we were born, mate. But people often think I'm New Zealand. Uh, I got new, no New Zealand background. Mum's um, Indonesian, um, part Indonesian, part Polynesian. So um, yeah, it's just um, yeah. I don't, I don't. I don't know where the name comes from. I should probably should look that up, really. Yeah. I've yeah. been asked it so many times, and I always go, oh, I should go away. And look. 
<laughs> One day I actually will. Yeah, well, okay, we'll make sure after this day. <laughs> yeah, yeah okay, it. so you grew up, um, tell me what it was like growing up for you in, in uh, were you into cricket? You said you were doing a lot of boxing then. Were you doing cricket, obviously, as well as a kid? Or Yeah, so until I was 12, I said I like, grew up in Ballarat, Melbourne, sort of go between the two places. Yeah. And then went to England when I was 12, and then, um, but just, I was just a normal 12-year-old, just into everything well but not like a normal 12 year old these days because we didn't have ipads or iphones or yeah video games i said to my dad the other day i said wow um did you have to struggle to get us off the computer games like i do with my kids and he said can you not remember how bad your video games <laughs> were back then he said it wasn't hard at all with that pong you know like with yeah. the, the, <laughs> the, tennis. the ball in the middle and you can only play that for so long yeah so um yeah, we didn't really have anything like that, and we didn't have a lot of toys, so it was often just you know ball out playing in the garage. Yeah, I was the same. The I was uh, always out there on the motorbike, on the bikes. You know what I mean? Kick the footy around or whatever. Um, our parents used to struggle to get us back inside. I think, yeah, you know what I mean. More than now, they're trying struggling to get them outside. Exactly. So. Yeah, it's an interesting time actually because I mean, my kids are they're, they're effectively outdoor, outgoing. You know, athletic kids. There's no reason for them to be um, sat in playing their iPhone or iPad. But it, apart from the fact that it's so goddamn fun, and yeah. you know, these guys, the big corporations, they've made these things so good that yeah, it's actually even a challenge for us going out and you know, it's, it's competition for the kids' games that kids play. So. Yeah, and what I find really interesting, I know, like especially with the phones and stuff, and and you know, even they use it with the pokies, so they, they use their own um, neuroscience against us, like with the the do- hits of dopamine with the, the flashy lights and the sounds and everything's made for mm. you to get addicted to that to game, it, to yeah. that phone, to yeah. you know what I mean. So, um, and that's something that uh, I find very interesting how they they allowed to. Um, will basically manipulate us to get addicted to these things that they know. Um, you know, I mean, I suppose there is some benefits to, you know, playing a video game, but you know, not if it gets to the point where that's all you're doing all, all day, yeah. every day, you know? Yeah. It might, it might improve, you know, if you improve your hand-eye coordination slightly, but not if you're doing it for 18 hours a day and only getting four hours sleep. It's, yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting. There's a number of ways these big companies are, it's become, I mean, I understand it's life, you know, that, object if you're in a company is to make as much money as you can but i think people will lose sight of the effect it's having oh the other day i was driving through mcdonald's and it was like one dollar for these giant slushies um which are just I, I actually by coincidence just saw the amount of sugar that was in one of those things it's like 50 tablespoons of sh- sugar in yep. a giant large and it's one dollar how can you justify saying no to your kids, right? When they're like, it's just one dollar, Dad. Yeah, right? ex- well, <laughs> well, not just that. So basically, what they're doing is they're not. I don't think they're trying to make a profit. No, out they of wouldn't it. be. No. What no. they're doing is they're effectively making Getting traffic. Or they're well, it's not just the traffic. It's you become addicted because the sugar is like a drug. Yeah. And then you've got to go. I've got to go back, and you can, it's only a dollar. But then when you're there, you, know, you buy a burger that yeah, goes with it, or my nuggets, or, yeah. or whatever. You, so it's actually, it's almost like drug dealing, but they. they they're doing it in a clever, clever way, and yeah. Well, they reckon uh, sugar is uh, just as addictive, if not more, than cocaine. It like is, it lights I up the that, same yeah. areas of the brain. Saying, I mean, they're using our uh, like our neuroscience against us, and I mm. think that's um, if you look into the history of psychology, I think that's why they tried to 
they suppress psychology for so long. Like, what if it gets in the wrong in the hands of the wrong people, right? Yeah. And which it kind of well, you're always going to expect that. But then you, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but which we, you know, we, if you get into the hands of the right people too, so yeah, um, yeah that's right. But um, yeah, so yeah, yeah. So tell me a little bit more about uh, you growing up, mate. So yeah, would you consider your life um, as, as a kid growing up? A uh, very pleasurable one, or do you have any tr- any issues growing up? Or you, you know, I mean, since you played a lot of sport, I suppose it'd be. No, nah, it was pretty enjoyable. I was pretty lucky. Yeah. Um, you know, just a good family. Um, mum and dad, just hardworking people who had our best interests at heart, and um, you know, we went to good schools and got given lots of opportunity, lots of love. So, um, very fortunate with with that, I guess. Uh, I mean, we weren't incredibly wealthy or anything like that, but. Yeah. Um, by the same thing, we always had food on the table, a roof over our head, and um, and then the opportunity to play sport. Mum and Dad would always drive us to wherever we had to go. Much, much to my sister's disgust, she uh, <laughs> she said, oh, "My whole childhood was watching you guys play sport." Yeah, and I said it could be worse, and um, then she just had two boys of her own, and <laughs> they both did the sport. She goes, "I can't believe I'm doing this again." <laughs> so poor thing, she's spent half her life. Uh, uh, kids sporting events driving, driving his round to sport yeah 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 so um something that uh i find uh, quite interesting and, and so life after sport i think a lot of because being a professional athlete uh, like yourself you know you've got to be fit you got to you know most people's careers it depends on what sport you play generally don't go past you know 35 like maybe 40 or whatever yeah uh and you'd I have seen, and I suppose you can get a better perspective of people get to that point and they got so much of their life left to live and they mm. kind of, and that's all they ever live for and now they kind of feel a bit lost as mm-hmm. if like, oh, what am I going to do yeah. from here? Did you ever experience anything like that yourself or? Um, probably not so much that, um, but uh, I guess I, I mean, I've had to reinvent myself. When I finished playing cricket, I was pretty smart with when I played. I um, I invested. I wasn't, I'm, I've never been... A big spender. I've never really had a big love of money. I mean, actually, I mean, everyone likes money, but it's like I, I haven't really necessarily had things that I want from money. I've always tried to earn it and always tried to be sensible with it. Yeah, it's but, not like a prime value for you. But, but oh, oh, it is a value. I'm, tr- I'm not. I'm probably not explaining it very well. It's something which I've tried to. I've tried to make money. But if you see the way I live, I live like a poor person. So even though when I've had lots of money, um, I just don't want anything. There's nothing. So I'm not even sure. I've actually been asking myself this question. Why do I try and make money? Because I don't really have anything I want to spend it on. Because it's, I don't, I don't, I'm not into cars. I don't particularly have a desire to drive Lamborghinis or Ferraris. I've always had pretty basic cars. Yep. And that's fine. <laughs> they go forward and backwards. Houses. Um, the only reason I've ever bought expensive houses is in for investment. So, but I'm quite happy, you know, just a normal the place I'm living at the moment, just you know, normal place. There's nothing fancy about it. There's, yep. you know, just windows and doors, and <laughs> it's just a normal house. And you know, I've never done drugs. I don't drink a lot. I don't. I don't have a, never gambled. So I don't. I have such a simple. Um, I don't have a, an expensive lifestyle. So it's been. I guess it's something I've been asking myself recently is like, you know, why did I get caught up in times trying to um, make money? So I don't really need it. Yeah, so, so it's, it's, a, it's a, uh, something I that I think we can all get 
caught up in. Yeah, 100%. I think society's got a lot to do with that. I think, um, you know, this whole, and this really frustrates me, is like, you know, you ask anyone, what's what's your definition of success? Are you going to be really rich, right? Mm, that's Whereas number one for me, thing. like, that's, that's not success to me. Success is, you know, having a good family, having love and friends, you know, mm. and working on yourself, bettering yourself. You know, a successful day could just be, Helping an old lady with her groceries or something, or you know, open the door, or doing, you know, small acts of kindness or stuff like that. Like that to me, sounds like a much more successful day than, mm. oh, you know, I got twenty leads today and made six sales. Like mm. you know what I mean? I think our it's so measurable, isn't it? Mm. Money is very measurable. There's a definite, you know, like you said you actually said it there. The numbers six leads and five sales, and yeah, there's you know, whereas it's very hard unless you actually start labeling it yourself, you know. Um, I actually started doing it a few years back when I was like, just felt I wasn't being grateful enough, just trying to, if I just had a nice cup of coffee, I'd just be sit there and go, wow, this is a really nice cup of coffee. I'm going to make sure I enjoy it and acknowledge it. Or, you know, good song, you can't yep. just acknowledge it because you can just sometimes let those things go. And at the end of the day, you go, did you have a good day? Oh, no, it was terrible. But there's actually like several really good things that happened in the day. We just don't always acknowledge them. Yeah, um, definitely. Like I know uh, with Neuro Nirvana, we've you know one of our big core values is like gratitude. You know, mm. have starting starting ended end each day with gratitude to break the chains of a negative attitude is what mm. we say. So, mm. our gratitude is absolutely massive, and you know it rewires the brain, rewires your neurological pathways. So then at the end of the day, you do remember these things, and like mm. you said, it's very simple. It's very easy for us at the end of the day to acknowledge all the shit things that we yeah. It could only be one shit thing. But then at the end of the day, that's the only thing you're going to talk about when there could have could been, be, yeah. you know, like a million amazing things that happened at the start of the day. But, um, <clears throat> yeah, our brain's trained to look for what's wrong and not for what's right. That's for mm. survival, right? So mm. it's only doing its job. That's why we need to, in today's world, give it a bit of coaching and, and change yeah. it. Yeah. It's interesting because um, I remember back when I was playing, um, sort of, I think towards the end of my career, we were sort of in the era where they just money started just coming into the game. Yeah, I remember a couple of the players in the side in our side. We had a very successful side, so um, you know we didn't have the money to pay all the players to be the top player in the side. There's only you know enough for you know, and then the middle of the range players in that side they would get good money, but not as much as the best the the best player in another side. Yeah, even though they might actually be better than that player. So then, and one of the couple of the players just started pointing it out. You know, oh, you know, I'm a better player than this guy. I'm a better player than that guy. This guy's got you know, a bigger house, better car. He's even got a better looking wife. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> and I said, well, it's funny how we never do it the other way. Yeah. We never look and go, oh, well, that guy there, he's better than me and, he earn, and I earn more money than him, so I should be grateful. So it's quite interesting. I've never really explored the gratitude. And I used to hear people talking about it a lot and I never quite got it. But um, just recently... Um, I've sort of felt myself getting down that path of not maybe not being grateful. And mm. um, there's a guy called Chris Cairns, who's a cricketer for New Zealand, a um, legend of the game, probably one, arguably one of New Zealand's best players of all time. Um, incredible career. Um, I think he would have to be in the top 10 all rounders of all time. Yeah, I, I know who he is. I yeah. remember watching him play. Yeah, yeah and he. Um, but, you know, good-looking guy, would have earned a lot of money. Um, he, you know, pin-up boy of New Zealand cricket. 
And then probably, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, he just um, he signed up for an ICL, which was um, an in Indian cricket league, which at the time was definitely getting paid a lot of money to go and play. And this was bef just before the IPL came out. And he went there and he um, borrowed money off the back of this contract with the ICL, um, buying big house, bought a big house. And, and then that ICL, about IPL, which is the tournament that was opposing it, came out about six months later. And then they basically made the ICL a rebel league so when he'd signed it wasn't but yeah, yeah. or when all these players and then the gfc hit so all, all these players had gone and borrowed money against yeah their wages <laughs> to buy big houses so they did that and then um then the icl went under and none of them got paid they always had these massive loans house and then the gfc happened and the price prop of the houses dropped so they all they all got smashed financially and then um and then I think he got caught out in some, you know, match fixing stuff. I think probably just trying to get money back that he lost, or yeah, um, and that damaged his reputation. And then, um, and then just the other day, I read, you know, six months ago, or something like that, he, he had a giant heart attack, <coughs> and basically they said, oh, he's going to die. The only reason he didn't die was because he had the heart attack in the actual hospital, seeing whilst visiting someone. Oh wow! They saved him. And I then, get much luckier than that. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, and then I think when they, they said basically he was going to die, but he survived. And then he had a stroke in his spine and basically paralyzed from the waist down for, you know, well, I probably presume for life. Um, I was thinking, wow, this guy's last 10 years has just been horrendous, like from yeah. what he had before. And then. Um, I just read, you know, a couple of weeks ago that he's got bowel cancer. So I was like, <laughs> how much does one guy, and I, I don't know, it's got me sort of questioning like how, so I mean, because similar to myself, my, probably the first 35 years of my life were just storybooked, you know what I mean? Like first, yeah. just literally couldn't have asked for better, yeah, yeah. you know, great family, like for international sport, um, Everything and then you know a few things started going wrong. Quite a big thing, I think. It's life, isn't it? As we go older, the longer we live, the more opportunity there is for bad things to happen. Yeah, and yeah. So um, yeah, for me at the moment, I'm just really trying to, you know, like I actually I hate to say this because I feel bad for him, but I'm mean, gonna use Chris Kansas. Every time I start feeling sorry for myself, it's going, wow, you know, just it could be that that could be you know, the cards that I draw. You know, so I've just got to be grateful for that. Yeah. Yeah, that's um, that's really powerful. I know, like my big thing is, um, you know, like two million kids a day like die from starvation. You know, like mm. live on. You know, there's, there's people there that are starving all day, and mm -hmm. you know, we whinge about someone cuts something. You know what I mean, Traffic, or like yeah. or something. Too something, many so, red lights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and um, yeah, like there's just so many things that we just being in Australia, like in the country that we are, there's so many opportunities, and uh, yeah, I like try and make a practice of just being thankful even just for the food just for the basic things that we mm. all take for granted we never yeah, say thanks much. for it like fresh drinking water like we go to the tap and grab it some people got to walk yeah you know, 6k or whatever to that's get right water. and it's probably muddy water like yep. you know what i mean and we and this is what really frustrates me about um i suppose back to the media stuff you know and you know, the media is portraying you know, coronavirus 
for example, and I don't know how many people died from it, but you know, ten times of that died from hunger. Like, mm-hmm. did, did you see any of them on the news in no, the last? Yeah. You know, like it's just not there. And I think that's a big thing with our perception, even like with our kids, and that they don't get how like, lucky we've got them. We've got to try and reinforce that into all like, everyone. So then, when things like go wrong, you you appreciate the good times. You know, like I mean, so we, before things go wrong, I should say you, you really appreciate the good times because, like, say things can happen. Um, mm. You know, a lot of things have happened in my life as well. So, um, yeah. So obviously, like, so, so coming off, do you, did you find a lot of uh, professional sportsmen did go through like a a, a, dep- a depressive state after? professional sport or do you think that's a, a real issue at the moment or not really oh it's definitely an issue it's, it's well documented uh, i'm actually wrote i write for the ocean road magazine and the my last piece was about um sportsmen after they finish so i think there's sort of a number of factors which come into play um if i'm let's say i'm in um the bank I started. I go into the world of banking instead of professional sport. Probably yep. start off, you know, just as just helping out around the office, maybe making coffees, and, and then I might work my way up to being on the teller. Yeah, I might, you know, more move across to credit or you know, writing some loans, and then ultimately I end up being the bank manager. That's the sort of normal progression as we go through our lives, you know. We and then eventually, by the time we come to the bank manager or the CEO or one day we retire. Yeah. Um, you know, as cricket, you kind of like, or sport in general, you're kind of having, <laughs> you're at your, you're at, you had the best years of your life. At the start. At the start when you're 30 something. So you've reached, I mean, like you said, you know, 35, you probably, let's say 30, 35 is the average age the sportsman gets to play till. Yeah. Some might play till 40, but, you know, let's just say 35 for argument's sake. Yep. You've still got another 30 years of work to go after that. And then, um, you know, this, there are some that get to go and become commentators uh, or coaches or the fortunate few, the you know, the absolutely maybe 1% or 2% who get to stay in the game and see out their whole life. Yep. So you've done, you're doing some coaching now with Queensland cricket, is that correct? Yes. And you've yes. done some, you heard you've done some in Afghanistan, is that right? I coached in Afghanistan, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm coached with England as well, so um, I've been fortunate. Um, yeah. But I'm, I, like I said, I think I'm not sure what the actual stats are, but it would be one or two percent. I mean, I was fortunate I captained England, so, yeah. Um, you know, there's probably guys who are probably all the same or maybe not quite as good as me and then they, they don't get the jobs. Yeah. So, because there's so few in there. Yeah, so, definitely. Um, and it's, um, you know, the people have got to reinvent themselves. So, you know, you, you go and do that and then you got to come out and then start at the bottom again. you got to go back to making the coffees or uh, and carve out a career if you're not fortunate to land yeah. a job back in it. So I think that's mentally quite challenging for people because, you know, one minute you're – and the, well, the other thing that goes is you one minute I'm out there playing in front of you know, 50, 70, 95,000 people England and then all of a sudden you retire and no one knows yeah all of a sudden if you start trying to hang on to it you become that sad person who's living in the past and yeah yeah, yeah. yeah I mean we all know someone like that yeah, yeah so yeah. um and 
and you really kind of do have to let it go and move on and, and do stuff. Otherwise, you become a prisoner of your past. You just get stuck in that place. And yeah, and you know, we'll. I mean, you know this more than you live. You don't want to live in the past or the future. You want to try and remain present. But yeah. those memories are pretty powerful. Um, and, and a lot of sportsmen can't move past the fact that those were such memorable days. Yeah. So one big thing that um, we're real big at. At you know, Nirvana is especially I'm trying to do a lot of work in the mining industry, right? So these, mm. you know, s- some people could be like 19, 20, 21, like go out the mines and start making these big dollars, right? But mm. they're doing like four and one rosters, three and one rosters, which is fine when you're young, right? Like you can go there yeah. and make some money. Yeah. Um, but I I notice that when you start in the industry, no one ever pulls you. The, the industry sh- should be pulling these kids aside, people aside, and saying, hey, look you know, this is the money that you're on, but unless you're going to be stuck doing four ones till you're 65, like this money isn't going to say have sort of like a goal or a game plan on how much you want to make or what you want to make out of it. Have an exit plan from doing that um, so you're not finding yourself stuck there. So a lot of, like I know a lot of the suicides that they haven't generally are from, um, you know I mean? They've got the big house, got like, you know, this Chris Cairns fella, you know, got, had all the, <coughs> and then they're like, well, now I'm stuck doing this for the rest of my life and I hate it because I'm away from my family for four weeks at a time. You know what I mean? So I think there needs to be a lot of education and I'm guessing like with sports would be the same, education for when they come in to set up a bit of a plan because, you know I mean, you're not going to be playing professional sport forever and I think mining should have that same mindset. You're not going to be doing it forever. It's like a temporary thing to make a certain amount of money to have a goal, have a plan, but then also have an exit plan. Cause if, you, if you feel stuck somewhere that you hate, that's you feel hopelessness, right? And that's one of the most, the, one of the worst feelings you can feel. As soon as you start to feel hopelessness, that's when the thoughts of, uh, you know, if I can't get out of this, like, what am I doing here, right? Yeah. Um, so that's a big thing. Um, do they do that in professional sport? Do they have, like, a, people come in and say, hey, look, you know, this career is only going to, like, can we help you with, like, financial to get yourself set up so then, you know, the burden's not so big later on to try and make the money, I suppose. Yeah, I'm so, like I said, um, I was fortunate enough that I've been professional in three sports. Um, cricket is really good at it. Um, they now have, I think, the, in, the, in the example of Queensland, Cricket Australia, they have pay for someone to be a person full-time employed to help people with their off-field um, organisation and yeah, that's do awesome. arranging courses for them. Um, preparing them for after um i was going to say afterlife <laughs> that's a that's a that's a bloody ouija board expert yeah. no they're prepared. i don't think you need any money for that one, <laughs> i think you're good yeah, yeah all right yeah just go to take you just take your shoes and go it's um yeah no so they, they that's cricket's outstanding at it yeah um, that's good yeah I, I think it was just starting to happen when i finished yeah um but now i think I feel like the Cricket Australia feel they've got an obligation to do it, probably because of what we've seen, you know, the amount of ex-athletes that go through depression, mm. suicide. and Yeah. Um, cricket's one of the highest, um, I think, because of the amount of time you're out there playing. So you've only got to, you've got to replace, you know, if you're playing uh, football, the game lasts 90 minutes and you, you probably train for half the day, and then you got half the day off. Because cricket's the nature of it. You spend so much time doing it. Yeah. When you finish, you got to try and replace that with something. So, um, I think they, I think they're doing a really good job at it. Um, personally, if, can they get better? I think 
we're learning stuff all the time. Yeah. You know? So yeah. I think I think they probably will get better, but definitely the intent from cricket is there. Fighting, there's nothing. There's no. Nah. There's no. Yeah. There's, there's no because and and people might say, oh, that's terrible, you know. But well, that's just the nature of the business. Um, you know, you got promoters and um, they're they're trying to make a living and um, they don't really have any. Uh, obligation to the fighter because they might have one or two fights. F- fighter might have one or two fights. One promoter move on to another. So it's not like in cricket where you, you know, I've had my whole career under the England Cricket Board. Yeah. So I guess they probably feel some sort of responsibility there. Or um, the fighting's just people just left to their own devices. And yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because uh, uh, my all-time favorite fighter is uh, Mike Tyson, yeah. and uh, I follow a lot of his stuff. And he got interviewed and he asked. Was asked like how much did you make for your first professional fight? And he said, oh, "I made five hundred bucks." And he's like, "But that's not because I got paid for my promoter. That's because someone from the crowd gave me five hundred bucks." Yeah, like yeah, literally, yeah. he, yeah. he, he didn't make any money. Yeah, right. And uh, if you follow his career, like he's got his promoters took a lot of money yeah. from him, and um, yeah. you know, he come out of you know one of well, one of the best fighters, and and didn't come away with, with uh, a lot of money. You know, which is mm. absolutely the crazy. Scandals, yeah. yeah. But yeah, so I I think the issue with the mining is is uh, with professional sport like they know that you've got to you know I mean you can't be strong and fit and you know forever. Whereas mining, yeah. you can mine till you're sixty five, right? So yeah. mining industries don't want someone coming and promoting. Well, you know you can get out of this because once you have got the experience in mining, they want to keep you there because yeah. you've got the experience. Yeah, right. Whereas you know I mean like it's not sustain like we know it's not sustainable for a human being to be away living in them conditions for long, long periods of time, right? Yeah. But the mining industry want them people because they've got the experience. So mm-hmm. um, I think they've got an obligation to recognise that. But then, you know, I mean, when you're pushing stuff against, you know, we all know it's talking about money, you know, we all know what money can do. So, you know, it's very hard to try and push people. Well, if you've had enough, like, you know, I mean, you have, have, have to have an exit plan, whereas a mining company is like, well, no, we want you here. You've got the experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's definitely an uphill battle, I feel, mm. um, in that industry to try and to bring that across. So mm. It's uh, actually, I guess, there's probably quite a few um, similarities there with, 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 with sport, being away from home and then... Yeah. I mean, I guess when people then do decide to get out of it, I mean, um, what's the... Um, um, Cause in cricket, there's also a very high divorce rate because people are away, away... And then when they come back home, all of a sudden, yeah, my wife realizes she doesn't like you. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, it's, well, it's like different. It's a different. It's not so much they don't like you. It's no, just that no. it's a different. <laughs> it's it's a different. Um, well, they've got the wife's got their routine yeah, set up at home. The house is how she wants it. To yeah, run. exactly. Yeah. And you know, and same as the mining. I think the mining it's like eighty percent divorce rate. Wow, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's really really high. And you know, to be honest, like you talk to some people out there, and they that that's part of the reason why at the mines, like, well, we can't live together full time, so I've got to be out of here. It's like oh, well. it's um, better than being down the pub, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so that's um that's interesting, yeah, because definitely, uh, especially with cricket, I suppose you are away, especially like internationally mm. going. Yeah, a lot. Yeah. All over. Um, I know probably rugby, rugby league or something might be a little bit different. Like they play everything sort of like within Australia kind of thing. Oh, you've obviously got some international um, games, but not like cricket where you're always kind of mm. everywhere. Yeah, definitely. Mm. So you'd um, 
people don't take their family with them as they go touring or is that kind well, of... they do now. Um, I think they're starting to do that. It's, it's becoming... People are recognised... Back in our day, it was just like... Too expensive. He didn't have the money, right? Well, they, it wasn't there. Well, they didn't want you. They just wouldn't pay for it. It was just like, if they want to go, then you've got to pay for yourself. So, whereas now they'll actually, they I think they're understanding the responsibility that they have. So, if you're going to ask someone to go away for four months, I'm trying to think. So, in 98, when we <coughs> toured the West Indies, I left for the West Indies on January the 1st, on New Year's Day. Um, and then we didn't get back until April the 20th or something. Wow, like that. so that's a long time. Yeah, so it's four months. And, and I, I believe, I, I don't believe, I know that some of the tours before, I, I mean, that was they were trying to cut it fine, you know. They were, uh, I know they cut it really fine. We had two or three warm-up games, but going back when England used to come out to Australia, they'd play all the states, they'd have a test match and they'd have a game in between the test matches. Um, so the tours out here would last five months. So yeah, that's, yeah. yeah. And to go without a, um, that tour to the West Indies, we were told our partners, not that I had one at the time, but <laughs> I was lucky, but um, the guys who had wives, their wives were allowed to come out for, uh, I think, two weeks or something like that, of that, that period. And no one, as uh, players, no one didn't, no one knew any better. They was like, okay, that's just the rules, and we just accepted it. So. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And then that was before mobile phones as well, so phone bills home for those guys. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> none of this FaceTime stuff. Uh, that, so yeah, yeah, exactly. Not, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, crazy. Yeah, well, yeah, I suppose sports come such a long way. I know, you know, you, you go back to, I don't know, say, footy, like, you know, the uh, Wally Lewis and that. Like, some of them guys yeah. were, they were working as rickies yeah. during yeah, the day and then training right. in the afternoon and then playing <sighs> games, you know, like, that's... It's incredible. Because there's just not, no money there. That's uh, that's absolutely crazy. Hmm. But um, yeah. So is so mental health. Um, I heard you, you're obviously pretty passionate about mental health yourself. You've um, have you personally gone through much stuff with the mental health. Um, yeah, I've, I've, I guess so. Um, it's, it's an interesting one for me. Um, I've had, like I said before, I sort of alluded to the fact I've had some tough things in my life. Um, my brother died. Um, he's uh, back in 2002, so it's coming up for for 20 years. So. Um, yeah, it's, um, it's uh, in fact, that's only like three weeks of the anniversary, about 20 years, three weeks, something like that. So, um, yeah, so I've had that and then I've had some financial issues as well. So Obviously uh, died quite young, 20 years ago. Yeah, well, he was 24, yeah. So um, he played for England with me as well. So oh, really? Uh, yeah, yeah. So yeah, that was big news back then. Um, yeah, so... Um, that was that was without doubt the hardest thing I've ever been through. Yep. Um, uh, life changing, not just um, people would say, of course it's life changing. You lost someone you love, but probably for me, um, changed the way I think about a lot of stuff. Um, changed my sort of attitude to life. So yep. I've had to sort of do quite a bit of work on just making sure that I don't, um, well, that I keep things in perspective. And I've done probably a lot of work just trying to work things out. Yeah. So. Um, it's a sort of fascinating topic for me, uh, the mind, and um, I don't know. It's one of the things I always have is like you know, you know, you know. People said, "Oh, did you go through depression when your brother died?" I'm like, "Well, I don't know. I was sad. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Does that make me depressed? I don't know." Yeah. Um, Do you mind me asking what what happened with your brother? Yeah. No. So he died in a car accident. Yeah. yeah. So he was 24, and um, we'd been out to a family dinner, and 
Um, he went to drive back to his place. I was driving back to mine. My mum and dad were driving back to theirs, and he and he just crashed his car. So, um, yeah. So, and he was dead instantly. Yeah. So, um, yeah. That was uh, yeah. So that was a a pretty full. Well, I was big in the media. Um, yeah. Because he was the youngest person to ever play cricket for England. So um, yeah, well. ever, and when and also he, his debut was against Australia and he got man of the match and it was quite a a big deal. So it was this, you know, even though in the public's eyes it was this young kid yeah. who who died in the car accident. So it was um it was pretty big news over there in England and um uh, obviously <laughs> huge news in our family. I mean, not good news, but it was um yeah. the biggest thing that's kind of happened in in my life, so um, so yeah. what 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 was some of the um, like looking back, like what are some of the things that you felt that you did well, like you're coping with that? Like, what was there any tools that you used, or was there anything that kind of helped you through that? Like, obviously, everyone's going to feel like a, a a moment of grief, and this is something mm. that really annoys me in the um psych psychology industry at the moment. So you know they're handing these you know, any depressants out to people, you know, you, you if you have a family member that die, you're going to have a, a, a extended mm. period of grief, right? Yeah. So at the moment, if you are two weeks from a family member dying, after two weeks, they can prescribe you antidepressants. Yeah. Right. Like, you're still grieving. Yeah, like, you know, that's stupid. Like, why? Mm. Yes, they're depressed. You know, I mean, they're grieving. They're going to be depressed for more than two weeks, right? And I think mm. that's absurd. And actually, I think they've changed it now to like there's no rule. Like it used to be two weeks, and they've even scrapped it now. Like you can go in there the next day and say my husband or family or brother died, and they'll just give you some happy like, bills. Yeah. yeah, that doesn't make any sense to me. Like That's you're not nice. depressed, you're grieving, right? It's, yeah. it's not. It's not the same yeah. kind of thing. I guess. Um, I guess they have to. Has to be a period where. And this is an interesting thing because I actually use this as a, an example of life, um, in coaching. Um, so I talk about cricket's a game of we, we face a ball or you bowl a ball, you hit a ball and then there's 30 seconds roughly before the next one comes down. So there's a bit of downtime and time for your mind to go to places. So some people dwell a lot on the ball that if they play a bad shot or bowl a bad ball, mm. they dwell on that. Um, other people don't analyse it at all and they don't learn from it. So there's, there's a balance to be had. So I often... <laughs> I like to shock my players. So, I um, I, I mean, one of the kids, he was particular in my Queensland under 19 side I had a few years back. He was a guy who really couldn't get over the fact he'd bowled a bad ball and he'd like, you know, go down on the ground, he'd whack the ground, and he'd be cursing himself all the way back. He'd be running into the bowl, the next ball, still cursing himself about the ball before. So, I was trying to explain to him, that, you know, there's a cycle and, um, it's funny when you're coaching, you actually learn some stuff yourself. It's like I, I, I started out trying to give this kid a lesson. I was like, wow, you know what I could do with heeding this lesson myself. <laughs> so uh, is it funny how that happens? It's crazy. It happens all the time. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, I'm an idiot. I don't do this, you know. So um, I said to him, and he had a very tight relationship. He was had a um, his father had died. He had a, a single mum, been brought up by his mum, very tight bond with her. So I said to him, um, what would you do if I? Could such a bad I'm probably going to get the sack from like for, I went in I said um, what would you do if I came to your house tonight and hacked your mum to death with a, with a machete and I said would you be sad he's like 
and he just looked at me and I said, well, of course you'd be sad, you know, you'd be devastated. Yeah. And I said, but, you know, what would you do? He said, oh, I'll probably curl up in the fetal position and cry. And I said, yeah, and, and rightly so, you know, your mum's just been macheted to death by a crazy Polynesian. I said, well, of course you would. I said, but um, how long would you stay there curled up on the ball, you know? What, would you be there still curled up in the ball when you're 90 years old? I said, there comes a point, even with something as close to you as your mother and the most closest person in the world to you, there comes a point when you've got to move on. You've got to, but you've got to grieve as well. So yeah. I say um, the reason I use it in the sporting analogy wasn't to just shock the kid or um, give him a lesson on grief about his mum. It was basically... In life, we have lots of these little events that happen in our life and we can't just skate over them and pretend they never happen because that's just not clever. No. We've got to learn from these things and we've yeah. got to <coughs> acknowledge them. It's but going to come out later in life if you try and repress it down, yeah. yeah. But by the same <laughs> token, um, there comes a point where the show must go on and you, you must um, try and get and do things for yourself to... Uh, have a happy life because that's the whole reason we're here. So um, it's finding that balance, which is is the hard thing. Yeah, um, because so you can't just move on without the grief, but you don't want to spend your whole life grieving either. I mean, I've been, I feel I've been guilty of that. I've been. It was probably only about four or five years ago, and I was like, <sighs> I've just got to move on. You know, like as sad as it was about my brother, I've I've got to, I've got my kids here who are depending on me. I've got people who depend on me to be the best I can be. And I'm not, and the show must go on, you know, like I've mm. got to carry on. So um, it's, it's a real fine balance. Yeah, yeah. So is there anything in particular that you found helped you a lot with, with grieving with that at all? Actually, it just, it's, I mean, we've already had a little go at the um, at the phones and, and the iPads and technologies, whatever, but I just actually just, actually funnily enough, listening to podcasts and mm. um hearing different way people other people's experiences and the way they dealt with it it's funny isn't it like you can read it in a in a book a psychology book and it might be presented in a very um theoretical way and it just oh yeah that makes sense and then just someone just drops it on you in a particular way mm. and it just goes in it just it just like makes sense it just mm. resonates I think it was actually <laughs> Sanskrit. Um, I heard some stuff that Dwayne Joseph Rock just said some, he just articulated it in a particular way that resonated mm. with me. And he just said, you know, um, when his dad died, he said, you know, like the show must go on. And he, his dad had always said to him, the show must go on. And he, the way, I mean, he's obviously incredibly close with his dad. And he just, he said, you know, even speaking at his funeral, he said, you know, it, he knows that he would say the show must go on we are the ones who are here and we still have the chance to make a difference so um that that resonated with me quite a bit but just little things that i picked up along the way unfortunately there's not a, a manual that one no. everybody must read that um that has all the answers but i think you've just got to search for them yourself and and then hopefully you find something that works for you yeah yeah uh it's incredible some of the stats um when it comes to like something like that happening to people, they say the average person has three, uh, like really traumatic experience, like somewhere like life is just unfair, unjust, like you know what I mean. So, 
we need to prepare for that. Like, I mean, no one's going to get through this life scot-free. Like, I mean, if the average is three, like some could have four or five. So, you know what I mean? Oh, like, yeah. you know what I mean? And then, you know, Shit. it's you know, some can be lucky and have, like, minimal, but yeah, like, yeah, everyone, yeah. they say the average is three, like, really devastating things that happen yeah. in your life. And and I think... Um, That's scary. You know, it, it is, right? It, well, but, what's but, scary is that I feel like I've had... A lot already, but then I look at it, I go, holy shit, I only had two. It means I've got another one to come. <laughs> <laughs> but this is the thing, right? And I feel, um, you know, I, I don't have kids, so I suppose I can't mm. really say, but I feel like we don't, we're not setting our kids up to know, like, you know, you're going to have some rough times, oh, right? You yeah. are. And, you know, and we're, and we're so, like, we're trying not to hurt the kids, like, you know, they're putting kids in bubble wrap and, oh, I don't want to hurt, you know. They need to feel they pain, do. right? Because yeah. otherwise when something like this happens, they don't 100%. know what to do. They don't know yeah. how to deal with that emotion. They don't know how to feel that emotion. They don't know how to um, to handle it. So I feel like we need to be doing a lot more when it comes to uh, our children and, and just saying, like, you know, life's going to have throw you some curveballs and mm. here's some tools and strategies and, you know, like listening to podcasts or whatever. Like I said, some things work for different people, but... I am a big believer in like podcasting and uh, reading as well, uh, just because your brain's very similar to like a computer, right? Like it's got input and then equals like output, right? So if you're inputting positive stuff or inputting information in that, how someone helped themselves or whatever, and like you say, you t- take little bits from every person, like you know, you come across someone like the Rock and you just that one thing that'll that'll click for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really important to yeah go out there and like I I'm a massive thing for reading and. So yeah, Demart- seeking information. Yeah, yeah. and Demartini, he's probably one of the most knowledgeable people. I don't know if you know who Demartini is. Is it Marcus Mark Demartini? Is it Mark Demartini? Um, Dr. Uh, oh, I, I think it's Dr. Mark, I think. I think Dr. Dr. John. Mark. No, Dr. John, John Demartini. Oh, I don't know. I reckon it's Mark, <laughs> mate. <laughs> get your phone out. All right, I'll get it out. I'm going to go to Mark, mate. Hey? I reckon it's Mark. 20 bucks. It's oh. John. Is it? No, I was saying. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, th- I thought he had, to, he had his phone out. I thought no, he already no, had no, it. No, I'm going to go into it now. Yeah. Uh, so he's going to affect John. Oh, Martini. Jesus. I'm 20 bucks yes. down. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so he's got a really cool thing called the, um, or he's real big on gratitude. That's his first yeah. book. Um, but he, I think, by th- that was in 2009, he uh, wrote that book. And by that stage, he'd already read over 30,000 books. Like, wow. He just um, very, very, very smart man. Um, read. Well read, to say the least. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so he's, and so he he's got a, a a program called the Breakthrough um, Program. So his big thing is like everything in life is has got an equal amounts of positive and negative to it. Like no matter what it is. So you go down to a small something like an atom has got, you know, a, a proton with like electron, right? So it's balanced. And then, like, the Earth has got a north and south pole, which is, like, balance, yeah. you know what I mean? So, uh, you know, everything in physics has got balance, everything in geology, yeah, everything that male, we... Male, female. Yeah, male, for everything has got balance, right? So then yeah. when something like a tragedy happens, like, say, your brother die, and then he will go, okay, what are the positives? What's the other side to it? And most people go, what do you mean there fucking isn't any? Mm. But then he'll ask that question over and over over again and then sure enough you'll find so many reasons why there was a lot of positives that come out of that so i know when i do this talk like out of school or something there's always some kid that goes oh i like cancer or something like, like you know mm. and i suppose a good 
um, example of this would be like Ben McGrath, like his, his wife, wife died yeah. for. So one of the positives that come out of that, like, you know, he's created an amazing foundation, you know I mean? There's a lot of reasons. There's some people that they dedicate their, they love their life because of dedicated to cancer research. Um, once you have a family member that dies from cancer, like, you're now way more educated on diet or whatever, diet, yeah. food, you know what I mean? Yeah. You're, you and your kids become a lot closer because your dad, you know what I mean? Like, there, there's a lot of closeness. So there's a lot of after mm. things that happen that actually really positive but once again we don't look we don't find that we just constantly play the, the negative. my brother died or my dad died or my yeah. you know i mean boom boom yeah. so yeah. what he says is yeah i mean if i can find the balance in your brain so if we, we can write out so what he does is he makes you write out and just keep writing positives like might, might be small just keep mm. writing out keep writing out until eventually the penny drops in your head and go you know what there's been just as much positive stuff that's come yeah. out of this is what that has Negative stuff. It's incredible. I haven't read that particular, or heard that particular analogy, but that's one that I've been playing around with myself. Um, so when I retired from cricket, I'd been pretty smart with my investments, and I've already alluded to the fact I'm tight, so I don't spend any money. So um, I was pretty well off and probably didn't have to work again. Um, um, and I had the property development business, and then in 2010 I got caught out in that global financial crash. So between 2004 and 2010, I'd been retired. And I mean, like, not just retired from sport. I'd retired, retired, like, yeah, just yeah. going on holidays and leading Living probably... Up. Well, Well, you say that, but it's probably the only time in my life I've actually genuinely been unhappy. I had no purpose. Um, mm, interesting. Nothing. No, I mean, I was a father to my daughter. That was it. Um, but didn't really achieve anything in those six years. Achieved nothing, in fact, um, other than... Going on some good holidays. Yeah. Um, Before you go on, I think that's really important for our listeners at home. How important having a purpose, and not only having a purpose, but achieving or growing as a person is important to your happiness, right? Like mm-hmm. a lot of people don't um, understand that, or like you know, everyone wants to retire, but once you retire, you've got. You know I mean, like a lot of people do go through. Yeah. I know people that you know, their whole life has Die. been that have been work. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've heard stories of, like, grandfathers and that they worked till they're, like, 86, and the second they retired, then they died, like, two weeks later because yeah. that was their whole they purpose, died. right? Because yeah. that yeah. was what they lived for. Yeah. Um, so I just want to, yeah, yeah, but, yeah, keep going. Um, I can't remember what I was saying. Uh, then, um, oh, yeah, so I was literally wasn't doing anything. I was, I mean, people, some people would say, well, that sounds great. Um, I guess all my life I'd been striving and... To be the best that I could be, mm. um, and and then I um I basically like I said I lost all my money. Um, the global financial crash came. Incredibly unfortunate set of circumstances. We were in the middle of some big developments and we were exposed at the time, and I, I lost everything. Um, then I was at the sort of stage I was just about to turn forty. Um, I had only been an entrepreneur or a professional athlete so i had no skill or other than cricket or time in the work or experience in the workplace i didn't yep. have any qualifications i was a 40 year old pommy cricketer living in australia so the chances of getting a job in cricket were pretty small um so i was like wow you know what am i going to do here um, but then just the opportunity arose for me to fight professionally. I, I picked up where I'd left off with the fighting back in the day. Yep. And um, 
and then I just embarked on this five-year mad boxing MMA career, which was tough. Um, I knew I was alive then, but it <laughs> yeah. was, uh, but it was. Uh, Would have been a little bit more, um, uh, I suppose, exciting than than sitting out the out in the field waiting for a ball to come to you, mate. Eh? Uh, and a hell, <laughs> well, and a hell of a lot more exciting than sitting there planning where your next holiday was. So yeah, yeah. Um, quite interestingly, like. If I said to people, you know, okay, well, you know, you've got the choice here. Here's a five-year period. You're just sitting around going on holidays with all the money that you could ever dream of or five years of literally fighting for your life, which is the one that you – I don't even remember that period of time in my life when I was sitting around. Doing, I, I just have no – I don't think anything happened, anything of any note. It was just mm. every day we just blended into another wake up and go and have a feed in a nice restaurant and cruise around. So, um, but – um, that other th- all those things, and then last night I was talking to an old friend of mine. I hadn't spoken to him in ages, and um, and he actually just said, "Wow, um, what a life you've led." And I was like, "Oh, I explained it to him." He said, "Imagine if you hadn't lost that money, none of those memories, you wouldn't have made any of those incredible memories that you've got, and all those things you've done." I was like, "Holy shit, he's right. Mm. Wouldn't have done it." So it's um that's that know, silver lining positive too. from yeah. The, yeah I wouldn't have done it so every time I feel myself I look at the price of a property and I go oh I own so much my properties would have been worth <laughs> I've got to remember well you know the exchanges you know I wouldn't have had all those memories that I've created and all those things that I've done which is so so important mm. anyway going back to the, something you said before which was which I found was interesting was um people and 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 when bad things happen to them and um i it's i always like to you know you're talking about kids and like preparing them for you know things were going to happen you know life's hard it's mm-hmm. hard it's hard out there just wake up every day life's ready to smack you in the face it's tough mm-hmm. um and just by nature of getting through the day you're doing well you're achieving something so mm-hmm. um but i um yeah, I um, I was uh, the analogy that I like to use is before my brother died, the worst thing that had ever happened to me. I scored a duck in the game of cricket. It was like, you know, I'd had such an amazing like, life. And yeah, I mean, actually, it's not. What well, the worst thing had happened to me was my best mate had died, in also in a car accident five years earlier. But before that, <coughs> literally, the worst thing that had happened to me was bad day playing cricket. Mm. Um couple of bad games um and i was just saying like if you go to a you know for the people out there that have got kids who are one or two years old or three years old go up to that kid and take their favorite toy off them and watch them squeal like a bastard <laughs> just it'll be the worst <laughs> yeah it's the, it's, it's the worst thing that's yeah. ever happened in their life yeah, yeah so they won't be able to cope with it because not because they're brat oh your kid's a brat no that's just the worst thing that's ever happened to them and they don't have any coping mechanisms. That's yet. right. That's correct. So they haven't got any. They're just like. But then after a period, they give them their back toy back, and then the next day take it off them again, and you keep doing that. Eventually, they're like, okay, I've had my toy taken off me. Yeah, I can deal with it. It's not such a big deal. They get used to it. And you become desensitized to whatever. So with me now, it's like. Well, they just develop the skills to handle their emotional state too. You know, yeah. what I mean? like yeah these bad emotions come up and I sat with it and I dealt with it mm. and now it's going to be okay. Feel com- yeah, it's going to be okay. Be I okay. feel comfortable with these emotions coming up because now they're coming up. Yeah. It's the same and with life. It's like, um, you know, like I've had my best mate die in a car crash. Uh, I've 
couple of my best mates died in car crashes. Um, then I've, my brother died in a car crash. Um, lost all my money. To, um, Ten years ago, I've you know, my, my family, my w- wife and I split up. So I've had some quite, you know, big things happen. I mean, but you know, always worse things that can happen. But you know, I had the fight in a cage to feed my family. And it's like, what are you going to do to me now? I mean, unless mm. you're going to do stay away from my kids, anything else, I can cope with. I mean, even and I hate to say this because I, obviously I, my kids are my dearest thing to me. But you know, if someone said to me before any of this happened, um, you know, I was something happens to my kids that I wouldn't be able to continue. I wouldn't be able to go through life. Well, that's what we think, but we will find a way. Mm. Uh, as, as as cold hearted as that sounds. You have to find a way to to, mm. to carry on, and I, I I like that because that's um, something that I believe too. And, and like you know, because I don't have kids, and if I try to tell that with someone with kids, they're like, well, yeah. you don't understand, right? No, and yeah. But I may not understand that, but I do understand the mind. The mind. I do understand the the will of the human spirit. I do. I have read mm-hmm. history of people like in the Holocaust and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Man's search for meaning. If you have read read that book, oh, I've heard. Victor I Frank. Read um, like. Yeah, Fuck Steve, man, it's it's like Steve Frank, not Victor. Victor. <laughs> <laughs> you got these not 20, 20 bucks. bucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Victor Frank. Yeah, yeah I've heard uh, about that book. Yeah. So, yeah, like, yeah. fuck, like, what they had to go through is, like, yeah. it's just unfathomable for someone like us, you know, and mm. and they, some of them could even get to a point where, like, they were fine with just living, oh. like, like, you know what I mean? So the human spirit is just incredible and... and yeah, I suppose. Um, yeah, back to like the kids, and, and this is funny. Like, the, this is one thing I want kids to learn from video games. If there's anything they need to learn from video games, it's life is exactly like a video game, right? Mm-hmm. You get level one. Mm-hmm. Level one's easy, right? You're mm-hmm. a kid, right? You get fed all the time. You, get, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Cruise through level one. Biggest obstacle is maybe trying to learn to walk, whatever. Mm-hmm. Okay, then you know, level two, right? It gets a little bit harder. But every level, you learn little skills along the way, right? And yeah, then yeah. at the end of each level, there's like a boss. You got to beat the boss, and the, that boss is like an obstacle that comes up in your life. Like it might be you got your first obstacle. Oh, I got duck in my cricket match, right? Yeah. You learn to deal with that, and then you beat that boss, and then you go to the next level of your life. Yeah. Boom. And then you know, I mean, for you, it was like you know, your best friend died in a car accident. Oh, that was your boss in yeah. the video game, right? This I is a level I'm struggling to get past. Oh, yep. And he, but as a kid, what do they do when they can't beat the level? They fucking play it. All day till they beat it, and they yeah. fail and they fail, and that's normal for them. But in life, they don't take that knowledge. This is just another obstacle that I need to get through to get to the next level of my life. If you took that into everything bad that happened to you, what type of mindset? How, how good is that of a mindset as opposed to, oh poor me, I'm never going to get through this. Yeah. Instead of yeah, that is a it's a it's a positive way of looking at it. It's a when I get through this, not only will I be okay, I'll be better for it. I'll, I'll have more skills, more coping mechanisms. Or yeah, it's a really, that's actually a really excellent way of looking at it. Yeah, so that's um, I, I do a few talks at schools, and when mm. that's one my way of engaging with because they can understand video yeah, games, right? Like, yeah. and, like video games. Oh, we're listening to this guy yeah, now. Exactly. What are you talking about? This guy's about? the best. <laughs> this guy's amazing. Where'd this guy come in? <laughs> yeah. And I think yeah, I think that's just uh, a perfect uh, analogy for life. You know, it's yeah. Things are gonna come at you, yeah, but you know the things you're gonna learn from it, the skills you're gonna get, and and the right that then you can pass them on to your kids, or you know, I mean, and and the big thing for me is like, you know, I've been through a lot of shit in my life too, and I've learned a lot of stuff, and now for me, it's it's about giving that skills back to other people, so then 
they when they come up to these issues, they don't I didn't have any. You know, I mean, I was yeah. devastated with some of you know like mm. drugs and like all the other stuff. Um, mm. But yeah, I think that uh, yeah, that's really really important. So if yeah, if you're going through something, just know. That, I mean, write down the positives, all the positives that you that can come from this, and and I think that's that's the best way to to get through it. And obviously, it's nice to have you know loving family and stuff like that to help, but uh, definitely that's uh, that's something that I want to instill in this next generation coming up. It's interesting. Um, I don't know if this is along the same sort of lines as what you were just talking about, but a friend of mine recently split up with his wife, and he was well, his wife left him, and um, he was really struggling for. Um, well, to get through it, and but I'd also been there through his journey, and he hated his wife. <laughs> but once she left him, it was really difficult. So, and they came to the point. I said, "Look, you know, we sat there and tried to talk about ways of him getting them back, and you know, or getting the relationship, fixing it up. And it wasn't happening." So I said, "Well, it comes a point, you know, like there's that great saying: if you don't like something, change it. If you can't change it, change the way you think about it." So um, I said, okay, you've tried, you know, you don't like it. You've tried to change it, to get her back, not work. It's definite now. There was like no reconciliation possible. I said, you need to change the way you think about it. So our amateur psychology, the way we dealt with it was to, we said, okay, well, let's write down all those things you used to complain to me about that you hated. That's that's that in reverse. Yeah. You know what I mean? yeah, yeah, yeah. Write yeah. it down. Write that shit down. Yeah. Definitely. Write it down. So I said, remember when you used to complain about the, you know, facts you were so negative. Can you remember? So every time you start missing her and wanting her back, write that down. And it is the it's quite a negative way of doing it, but it was no, a way of it, getting it, over that grief for him. Yeah, well, it's the it's the balance. See, so at the moment he's got an imbalanced perception of what the relationship was like. All yes. he's remembering is the good, the good stuff, stuff, yeah. right? So yeah. he's doing the exact opposite of that Martini yes. method. It's just Dave Martini. It's it's. Uh, <laughs> 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 well, we're gonna call it Dave. Fuck it. John D. Martin for people that don't. Uh, yeah. So yeah, it's, it's 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 that whole balance, you know. I mean, and oh, if you ever get a chance to look up any of his stuff, yeah, yeah. He, he's right. Everything in life has got a balance of of positive and negative, and and mm. even like your cri- like any crisis yeah. you know, in your life, there is gonna be positives there. Um, just if, to start with, and then like you said, it. Later on, it's gonna. You may not see it straight away, and that's some of the some of the issues. You may not see it later on, but later on, when you see like the skills that you learn, like for me, like the stuff that I had learned, you know, it forced me to go and work on myself. Like, you know, I mean, I had to. Like, I guess, or else I wasn't gonna be here. So it was yeah. like, you know, you go. Um. So yeah, that's yeah, that's a huge takeaway. Um. Yeah, just look for that balance. Look for the other side of that situation, whether it's mm-hmm. positive or negative, and just know it's all. Yeah, I know this sounds very wishy-washy or whatever, but yeah, everything is perfect just the way it is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, um, very, very interesting time. I heard, um, I heard there's a bit of a story that you've got about Afghanistan too. Is that oh, is yeah. that correct? Yeah, so actually, well, I've got lots of stories about lots of things, <laughs> but the um, the story about Afghanistan that was quite a quite a surreal one really um i think it was just off the back of again a period of time when i you know, wasn't financially in a great place and i got asked by dean jones the late dean jones to um peter jones was it yeah, no. pete, <laughs> pete jones, 
Jones, yeah, that's it. I got asked by by, by Pete to go um, to go over to Afghanistan, and um, um, I was like, oh, I don't know, my my geography is not great, and my um, understanding of world politics is probably even less. So I said, it sounds dangerous. Um, so I asked around, and um, they're like, no, no, it's you know, it's it, it's, it is very dangerous, and we're going to Kabul and. Um, I asked the England Cricket Board, and you know, you know, what are the chances of? They said, look, our advice is don't go. Like, I'm not contracted to anyone, so I'm a free man. I can do what I want. Mm. Um, they're offering a decent amount of cash. Um, so started negotiating with them, and they said, yeah, they'll give us. Uh, they give me the the money, um, cash as soon as I land. Um, if anything happens that makes me feel unsafe, I'm free to go. At any time, so um, I land there, and I don't think I quite appreciated what I was going into. So um, landed there, and you know, met by security with machine guns, and straight into armored vehicles, um, to straight to the hotel. Going to the hotel was well, more extreme <coughs> than trying to get through security at any airport I'd been to. Yeah, just to go into the own hotel, and then inside the hotel was, you know, it was like two layers of i mean probably i haven't been in prison but probably i'm guessing something like that would be and once inside it was a five-star luxury hotel was lovely but um just getting into it and out of it was you know 10 minutes to get in uh, or out each time so um and then we went to the ground and the first we were playing the first game and there's a guy i was uh the side i was coaching was coaching playing it's another side who was coached by gus logie who's a west indian great west indian and um and then oh my god um this bomb went off um and I, i've uh, again i've led a pretty sheltered life in some ways i've never been within the vicinity of something that loud so the bomb probably went off i'm gonna say probably 75 50 i don't know let's say between 50 and 100 meters from where i was sat in the change room yeah now that sounds very close and it is, but there was like security guards at the door of the change room. Then there was another security guard at the entrance <laughs> to the actual stand that I was in. There was a security guard to get into the ground and then another layer of security that actually blocked off all around the ground. Um, some suicide bomber came up and approached the first layer of security and basically blew himself up and, and aided the security. So, um, I mean... the. I've still to this day I can remember the vibrations that went through my body. It was like, holy hell, what was that? And it was like cliche. We we're in Afghanistan. I'd been there two days. I was, I was like, "There's a bomb." What the? Yeah, I'm seeing it's a bomb, and then they came. You know, you said I can leave any time. Two days, I'm done. All right, yeah. Well, well, that was you know, I was. I think I was. I must have been in denial because I was like, "Nah, can't be a bomb." That was like, and then I looked up and I saw my players like sprinting off the ground and then they could see the one of the buildings outside all the damage that that bomb had caused so they were, ran in they got off um and um and then we heard at first it was a street vending machine that had blown up i was like eh. <laughs> my knowledge of vending machines isn't <laughs> yeah. eh. I, don't, I don't think eh. they carry um yeah. c4 in them yeah, <laughs> i was like what the hell i was like coke pepsi yeah, yeah, c4 yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, anyway, yeah, it was yeah, they they had to come clean and 
told us it was a suicide bomber. And then it was sad because on one hand we had these people who had not been able to get professional cricket to their city. Mm. And they were just like you or I. They were just fanatical about their um, their sport and you know, they, they're passionate about it. It's like you're passionate about your podcast. They were passionate about cricket and bringing it to their city and they were good people. Yeah. But unfortunately, just, you know, they're in a place where you could see in their eyes the effort they'd gone into put into this um, tournament and, and they could see as soon as that bomb went off, you could see in their eyes, they were like, are you kidding me? Like these people, they just ruin our life at every turn. So, um, yeah, so they then started the negotiation process with us to try and keep us to stay. I mean, they said they were cool. They were like, you can go. They said they didn't try and stop us from going. They just said, look, just understand if you leave, this is really bad news for us. Yeah. Um, if this tournament doesn't proceed, this is pretty much the end of career. So we all got together and um, and then we ended up staying. They gave us presidential security. They cleared the roads. Um, and yeah, we ended up staying till the end of the tournament. Mm. And I suppose um, what's well, easy for me to say because I wasn't I wasn't there, obviously. But you know, then if you did decide to go, then like some the people did, the suicide bomber wins, right? Because that's right, yeah. You know what I mean? Like he, they, mm. he got. I mean, whereas if you go, well, fuck yeah, we're gonna keep doing it anyway. Like then, I know for me, it's like, well, they didn't get what they wanted but they wanted you know yeah, and, why, and why should they you know like, and i actually um, i think i was quoted uh, i spoke to the bbc they rang me up because obviously the news went pretty pretty well and i said you know like i've ever since i was a kid at school i've had we all have to experience at some stage we've been somewhere being bullied at some stage in our life whether that be by a kid bigger than you or yeah a boss or work colleague or so, you know the government, whoever it is, is someone's bullying you. <laughs> some, someone's bullying you. Don't get me started. On that. <laughs> 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 you, you four hours. You want <laughs> this will go four hours. <laughs> so we've been bullied at some stage, but I just said, you know what? I've I've never been bullied in my life. Oh, I've been bullied. Don't get me wrong, but <coughs> I've never just accepted bullying. So even when I was a kid, you know, I would get coloured a bit, get teased about the colour of my skin, growing up in Ballarat, and yep. you know. Uh, I think some chalk wedge, licorice stick. Uh, <laughs> there was some licorice stick, that's yeah. a new one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was, I was called all sorts of So, But I was like, hey, this is, you know, I'm, I'm never backed down before, so I'm not going to start now. So yeah. you guys have to do better than that. And I'm not just me. I wasn't, I'm not saying, I'm not trying to make myself sound like a superhero because there was about 15 other people who were there in the same deal as me and they all stayed as well. So, well, I think one or two left. But, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, this is, I suppose, going back. I, I, oh, I've never played any like type of level sport that you've played, but sport's been a massive part of my life um, mm-hmm. ever since growing up. Like you know, swim, like swim states for swimming, you know, mm-hmm. tennis, um, you know, motorbike riding, like all. And I really find that sport is such a good way to teach people mental toughness, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. I think, and I've been lucky enough to take that mental. You know, like you know, even like fighting or like you just can't like give up. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and I find that um, I was good at doing it sport, but and then it, it sort of just dawned on me one day, like why am I not doing that in life? In life, like yeah. you know what I mean? Why am point. I letting some fucking some what, or bully or or why am I letting some shitty little thing that get happened in my life get the better of me? Like mm-hmm. I would never do that on the sporting field. Like no, no fucking way. You no. know, I'll be like, Mm-mm. yeah, like you Agreed. know, and I. I I do find uh, this is obviously a big generalization, but I just think like 
sport or weights or CrossFit or, or just some sort of physical exercise is just a, such a good way to get people to start learning the pair of this as well too, you know what I mean? Like once you click into that, they're not going to beat me or I'm, I mean, I'm not going to lose or, you know, and you're training your mind in at the end of it, you're like, fuck, it was so powerful, it's, yeah. you know, and then to then take that into other areas mm-hmm. uh, of your life. So I'm a big advocate of uh, not just sport, but just any sort of physical and pushing yourself, you know what I mean? Like it's, it goes back to that if you're not achieving, right, if you're not growing and if you grow in one area of your life, whether it's sport, like that then helps. It's like, you know, what's the rising sea, um, sea rises all ships, you know what I mean? Like mm. if you grow in one area of your life, then you can then use that on all the other yeah. areas of life as well. So as, as how you were successful in that area, <laughs> yeah, you can replicate that and take that into. That's right. So success is just doing the same thing, or, you know, but in, in, in different. Replicating it in different. Yeah. And, that, and that's a good point because I think that, I think when I finished playing career, I was the same. I was like, hey, I've just got to take the same mm. attitude that I had towards being the best cricketer that I could be and I've got to take that into other – and I haven't always done that. And I dare say that's probably why I've never been quite as successful as anything as what I was in sport because mm. I haven't been able to – but that's the goal. I'm still – Yeah. Still got time on my hands. Got plenty of time, mate. And, yeah, to try and improve, so. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so I think that's um, yeah, that that's really big. Uh, just uh, and for me, like weights was like big. For, I didn't do weights because I was such doing a lot of sport and never needed to, you know. And then mm-hmm. um, I just ended up getting to. I hurt my elbow real bad, and it used to give me problems. So I just started doing weights and and just that mental toughness of like one more set, you know, one yeah. more rep, yeah. you know, like one more, you know, and then. <coughs> Going there and feeling like shit some days and just going, I'm just going to do it because I have to, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we're going to do. We've got to have that mental toughness when it comes to shit that goes on in our life. You know, just, I can do this, I can get through this and, you, and, you know, use that experience from, from other areas to, to do the same, yeah. And it's, I think the reason why sport is so good at that is, um, is because it's fun and you wouldn't stick at it if it wasn't, as in you wouldn't, like, if you were, the amount of pain that goes with training or the amount of, and unless at some stage you reap the benefit of it, you just wouldn't keep doing it. Mm. So, like, for example, um, like, my son came to me about a month ago and he said, um, hey, Dad, I want to start training. He's 15. Yeah. So um, he said, I want to start training. And I know this kid's got, he's a, he's a great athlete, he's got good genetics. Um, mum was mum had good genetics, <laughs> so he. Um, I knew that I had something good to work with, but I knew I had a limited amount of time because, for a lot of these kids these days, the the reward for stuff is so fast. Like mm. you know, like you said, level one so easy. You, know, you can play for half an hour on a game, and you're on, and the game's telling you you're the most amazing game player in the world, and you're on level fifty, and all the dopamine's going in because yeah, instant gratification. Yeah, yeah. Um, but if I want to like practice a one-handed catch, I need to practice that. A lot. Mm. And then, hey, you know what? I might play the whole next season. I might not get a one-hand catch. So that reward might come two years down the line. So yeah, it's um, it's a weird investment. You know what I mean? Sports mm. is a strange investment. But when that does pay off, there's nothing there's nothing better. So um, yeah, my son came to me the other day and he um, I'm just actually looking at my um, phone here because I, I took a picture of him. I knew that this was going to be a struggle to keep him motivated. So... Um, he said oh, we changed his diet 
I said, I've got, I've got two or three weeks here. If he doesn't start seeing something happening, he's going to ditch it. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> like, he's he can't play Candy Crush, like I said, on level 100. <laughs> yeah. So I said, okay, let's do a before photo. So we took a photo. We changed his diet, gave him a little whiteboard. Mm. Every time you achieve something, tick it off. Even that's just eating, drinking four litres of water a day. I want you to drink that. You know, I want you to. So we gave him this really. And the idea was the idea is that you stick it up for a month and you see some. He might stay with this for his life. Mm. So I was like, man, you got. I said, and I, exp- I even gave him the. So this is gonna be hard. You're gonna want to quit after the first week because that's gonna be the hardest. Mm. Uh, so I gave him the answers to the questions that were inevitably gonna come up. Yeah. So this this is set a, him up for success. This is a little before and you can't the your podcast won't be able to see this, but there's the before and after picture of him. So yeah, wow. So you might if I put it to the yeah, yeah, yeah. You can see that. So uh, I don't know if I'll be. Later on, but yeah, 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 that's cool. Yeah, so he um, and then now when he saw that, I saw he doesn't smile that much. That kid, but um, <laughs> he um, he um, you could see he was like, wow, that's made a difference. Mm. So and then the other thing I was, I was, so I was trying to give him measurables. So he went to do bench. He's only fit, just turned fifteen. Um, so I gave him um, well, I tried. To, I gave a maximum bench press. Just I wanted to be able to show him how much. He, so he did could couldn't do 60 kilos well i helped him slightly to get the city probably let's say he got 60 kilos but then um two nights ago which is probably a month after that first thing he, he benched 75 kilos twice so i mean his techniques got better as well yeah, yeah but so still that's huge but when he lifts you see his <laughs> smile on his face and that's um that's Forget, like, he look, is he going to be the next arnold schwarzenegger <laughs> probably not is he going to do weights all his life maybe maybe not but what it does do is giving him that thing which you can only get from sport, that mm. sticking at something, that resilience, that good feeling, yeah, and, 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 dopamine, and, being, yep. and being patient. So And the shields that he'll get later. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I think that's all he was thinking about. I think that was Hey, the, whatever works, he, all right? <laughs> he was just like, as soon as I took the picture, I was like, oh, what do you think? He goes, can you send it to me? I want to put it on my Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, see, uh, something just dropped with me when you were just saying that is, um, like with the sport, say, you know, I mean, you, you, you endure the toughness, right? Because you, you can see the goal, right? You can mm. see the, you're striving for that. Mm-hmm. But when your brother dies, what do you strive for? There, is, there isn't a goal there to strive for, so it's much tougher well, to then... The goal is to feel human again, to feel well, healthy you know and not I mean, feel grief. Yeah. yeah, so, but you... Do you understand so what I'm trying to say? Like those goals aren't tangible. No. So it's not 60 kilos to 75 kilos. It's not. It's just like I just want to feel not like terrible. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, um, yeah, going for like a goal of yeah whatever Australian cricket or you know, English cricket captain, um, as opposed to just trying to get through the day, is is a much tougher um, ask. Yeah, it's thankless. Yeah, but then you can use them. You you could use that same um, formula. Like, yeah, formula to get mm. the same the same result outcome. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Agreed, and that's what I was saying. That's my whole point. Like, so sports so good. You said it had been massive in your life, um, and it doesn't matter whether you're the captain of England or the you're just a player in the second eleven in the Peckham Urinals. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. It's the it's the understanding highs and lows. And in sport, you have to exp- you experience highs and lows. Mm. In 
life. X amount of times in a day. Yeah. In a game of cricket, you might experience three or four highs and two lows in one game or vice versa. And you've got to learn to deal with those and move forward and, and carry on playing. Mm. So every... Um, and you experience them a lot in one round. I got punched in the face, I punched him in the face. I got yeah. punched in the face. Exactly, yeah. And, that, 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 and fighting's the biggest metaphor for life. Oh, 100%. You like, get knocked uh, down, I'm, you know. Yeah, like, I, you get I've up. had a few amateur fights and I, I've mm. fought, like I would... Same as you, I fought heat as a kid, and then my mum and dad were like, they, they wouldn't sign the paperwork. They're like, we're not signing paperwork for you to fight. And I was so pissed off. <laughs> All my mates are fighting. I'm yeah. their sparring partner, and like, oh, I was beat most of them. And like, they were going on and fighting, and you know. And the worst thing is, you've done like, all the training. <laughs> And then, you know, I don't even get to have a proper fight. Like, nah. uh, oh, no. Nah, I, I think I didn't have my first one until, um, I think I was 29, because I, I left and, yeah, I mean, I you know, went down the wrong path and all that stuff anyway. I got to a point in my life and I was like, you know what, I never fucking had that fight, you know? Yeah, and I was right. like, went, go, Isn't mad? went back into it, eh? And it's funny, I had mm. a few fights and then um, I'm actually thinking about going back. Yeah, do it. And having, having, before I get too old. Yeah. Um, How old are you? Thirty eight this year. Yeah, right. yeah. Well, I didn't turn pro till I was like forty. Oh, I'm pro by forty. Write it yeah, down, guys. Yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> make a note of it, mate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, and I'm, you, and you're right. Um, there's something about boxing too. Like every other sport I've played, you've got the option of of not putting in a hundred percent. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. Like you can be playing tennis, or and yeah. you can go. Oh, you know what? I couldn't be fucked, or mm-hmm. you know, or, yeah, yeah, or yeah. boxing, or, or you know, I'm not boxing. Like footy, mm. you can be like, oh, I'm just gonna sit out in the wing for a bit, catch a bit of a breather, like you know, yeah. like if you. Or, whereas in that ring, you don't have no that way. option. There's no bit of a timeout, guys. No, yeah. you've got to, There's no running away. There's no hiding. There's you know, you're in it, and there's no. You can't give up. You can't. You can't just like f- put the throttle back for a little bit. Like it no. really shows um, inside. It really shows who you are, I think, and the, in that mental, just that mental toughness again. You know, like not. It's just different. Like, yeah, it's just different. It's like it's quite interesting <laughs> because when I finished fighting, the clamber to get me to come back to cricket to pass on mental toughness back to the cricketers, and everyone would go, "Yeah, of course, fighters are way tougher than cricketers." When I actually stopped and broke it down and, and thought about it, it was like mentally cricket is a far harder game than fighting. You have to be physically braver um, and there's one element of, you know, you have to push when you're feeling pain mentally, but the amount of time there is for your brain to play games, with you, the slower the game, so the hardest game mentally has to be golf. Yeah. You've got like three minutes before between each shot and you've got time to think about it and all the things that can go wrong and yeah, the consequences. Yeah. And yeah. Whereas with fighting, you're just fighting. Yeah. You're fighting. And you've got you to dig deep. You haven't got time to think. think. If someone's nah. throwing a fist at you, you got, you're trying yeah, to duck. It's all reaction, but and that's why. And, yeah, and yeah. you're just in the moment and you're trying to, all you're trying to do is access <laughs> the skills that you've trained and then not throw up in the ring because you're so, you're so <laughs> tired. So you're just pushing physically. So that's the only mental skill you really need to have. But um, with the slower games, um, I find that you need. I it's a different type of. I know. I know what you're saying. Um, mm. And so does my my golf club. Cl- I've snapped golf club collection. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I understand. Man, <laughs> well, when yeah. I, I played a little bit of golf as a kid, like oh. my mum, she's like she's like nearly seventy now, and she still plays off like a twelve or something like that. Yeah, right. So. And I, I remember playing as a kid. I just did not have the temp or, or tennis. I think I snapped two rackets. One tennis tournament. My mum like she was going to kill me. She's like, "How much they fucking 
Anyway, I didn't You'll have, have that. Go I back didn't. and do boxing. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, put me in boxing. <laughs> That's not a break. It's my face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, no, so yeah, but I, I, yeah, I didn't have that. The emotional maturity, or or I don't know what you'd call it, but yeah, I, d- I didn't have that back then, and it wasn't until going through these other areas of my life where I've had to, you know, control my emotion, and that's all it was. Is like in the golf, like bad shot and then to be able to control that feeling of you know and get back to a point of letting that go mm. um and yeah so it's very similar to your fellow with the, the bowler that you're teaching you know it's, mm. in, it's just a, it's a different type of mental toughness for sure it is yeah for sure. yeah it's and it's amazing <laughs> like for me naturally um i guess physical pain or um just voices in your head of like you know just stop quit all those things for me it's like a bit one-dimensional i find it quite easy to defeat those those demons um other things when i've got time to, on my hands to think about things hence sounds like you might as well with the snap golf clubs because <laughs> i think i've got a couple of bags of snap golf clubs as well it's like yeah um you got time on your hand your mind can start playing tricks on you and to mm. control those thoughts over a period of time five days being out there you got a lot of time to think about stuff it's um for me that's a much harder challenge for me i mean i'm not saying that's the same for everybody i'm certainly not an expert mm. on it but um can i ask did you did you have any specific tools or techniques that you use to overcome the voices the voices yeah. dave hey dave 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 was someone who used to sit on my shoulder i had a guy so alter ego so he'd sit on my shoulder oh not the dave not martini no, no, not <laughs> da- not dave martini no <laughs> Might have been John actually. <laughs> so um, yeah, so okay, Dave, okay. Dave, Dave used to sit on my shoulder, and I'd be batting, and <coughs> I'd be batting nicely, and then all of a sudden, David pop up, and he'd say, wow, "Try and whack a six here. Try and whack a six. You can do it. You can do it." And then I'd I'd have to. Well, I, he wasn't called Dave at first. He was just something. This just made me want to do something stupid. Um, it was my ego. Yeah. Um, just making me want to get the roar of the cloud crowd now rather than being patient and uh, yeah um so I, I named him and gave him a face and identity and dave was um retarded <laughs> he was deprived of oxygen at birth and i just gave him a you know like a really just i didn't want to listen to any advice he may give me so i just ended up you know acknowledging he was there and acknowledging i was getting bad advice and um the only way i could acknowledge was just make him out to be someone that i had really no interest in taking advice from so mm. i'd hear it and i'd be like oh, it's just a person giving me bad advice so i'm not going to do that i'm going to have to think go through my process as soon as i'd hear that voice <coughs> i'd be like okay what's the process now stop ignore dave and think about what's the correct thing to do here so that was like a trigger to start thinking clearer yeah that's cool i, I really like that um that you yeah, so it's just, all, all it was was it's just a, a persona, I suppose, that yeah. was in your head. Yeah, and and there's many different personas depending on how we're feeling at that time. Uh, so I really like it. Was, it's, it was but Dave cool. often pops up when you're drunk as well. So. <laughs> Fuck off, Dave. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's back again. Funnily enough, actually, when Dave, I went... Dave, get the tequila shot. Shut <laughs> up, Dave. You can definitely sink five, five tequilas in a minute. Definitely. <laughs> Why wouldn't you? <laughs> I'll time you. <laughs> exactly. So uh, he, Dave didn't, when I retired, he, you know, he wasn't interested in me when I was 
you know, all I was doing was sitting around planning holidays and retired. But then when I started fighting again, same thing. It was like Dave's like, you know, just fighting, like following a good game plan. All of a sudden it's like, throw a massive right hand and try and knock him out and finish the fight right now. I was like, no, that's bad advice. You yeah. know, I'd stick to the plan, stick to what you're doing. So, um, yeah, he popped up again when I started doing competing properly again. So. Yeah, I think um, I, I really like that. And one of the, I suppose, most powerful things I've heard is don't believe everything you think. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. really, uh, there's just so many thoughts that I think we have 60 to 70,000 thoughts a day, right? Mm. And just from our psychology and our history, like, two-thirds of them, um, one in three is positive, so two-thirds are negative thoughts. Yeah, which right. are <clears throat> so how are we going to live? And a, and how are you going to live a positive life when having that many negative thoughts, which are most times are incorrect thoughts? You know what I mean? They're just sort of popping up. So you got to. It's good that you that you recognise that that was not right, real. Whereas a lot, there's still a lot of people that they believe that thought, it. yeah, and they yeah. believe that thought. So don't ever take anything that your brain says as gospel or as something that's correct. And that's where that awareness comes in of being aware of what's going on and. And I really like the naming of it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna write that one down. Go. <laughs> I've got Peter, John, cricket team. Of John them. D. Martini's <laughs> up there. <like. laughs> we'll see. That's what I mean. He's one of the positive. Yeah, he's, he's the a good angel one. on the other yeah, side. Yeah, see? That's right. yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's, um, yeah, it's it, it's interesting that um, I often say as well to people: the first thing you got to do is acknowledge it. Or he's got to mm. recognize it. Yeah. If you don't recognize it. Then you you can't fix it. I was, I was so and you you've heard of consequential thinking. Yeah. So yeah. So I sort of like tied Dave in. You know, Dave would come and give me, oh, try and try and um, whack a six over there. Go on, just try and smack him for a massive six. That's when my consequential thinking escape route would have to come. Like, okay, if I do that, what's going to happen? Mm. I'm going to be sitting down over there watching other people bat, wishing I was still in there, and I'm going to be sitting there hating the fact I'm out, probably having to throw my bat when I get out and carry on and sit, have to sit there with the other people who are out. And I don't want to do that. So I'd put myself into the consequence of, of that bad thinking and then going, do you want to really follow the advice of Dave or do you want to do you want to be sitting there having a shit rest of the day? So then I'd like, okay, I gave myself the consequence, don't want that, okay, bad advice, go back to my escape plan which I thought of beforehand which was just play the ball on its merits when it comes down and just do what the right thing to do is rather than what Dave wants me to do yeah uh, yeah I really like that um (coughs) that makes a lot a lot of sense and like you said it's having that awareness and um yeah I think that's one of the hardest things is to get people to to recognize like what their thoughts actually are like Mm -hmm. because um I think once you turn 35, over 35, 95% of your thoughts every day of them, 70,000 thoughts are completely unconscious. Like mm. you, you have no idea what they are. Yeah, right. So um, to try and bring more of them thoughts to your awareness and then analyse them. Are they correct? Are they not correct? What are the consequences? So, yeah, I really, I really like that. Um, yeah. It's quite interesting because the other example I give, like I said, I like to shock the kids that I coach as well. Um, Just give them a quick left hook, mate. <laughs> 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 I 
Exactly. So, I, you know, I've already killed off the mum of one of my players in the side. So um, I talk to them about the alcoholic. And I say the alcoholic, um, he just has the drinks and then he, just, he keeps waking up every morning, passed out on the floor, um, you know, in some vomit, you know, like this is bad, you know, waking up, having to go to work the next day, feeling terrible. Um, there comes a point when you – first point of it is to acknowledge, hey, look, this isn't the right way to wake up and start realising, you know, the consequences of me doing this is I'll go spend the whole next day feeling shit and yeah. and not enjoying my day and not being productive and not getting the most out of my life. So mm. that's the first part is just acknowledging And it. could possibly wake up with dicks on your face too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> definitely, <laughs> definitely. So, so then the next part is to start preempting that and start going, okay, so the next day I'm sitting there and going, ah, I'm just going to have one drink. I'm just going to have one drink. And we know what that leads to. One drink leads to 35 drinks, mm. and there you are, passed out on the floor again in a pile of vomit. Yeah. So then you can't, that's where your consequential thinking comes in. You have create an escape plan in your mind um, so that when you go to say, ah, oh, it's only one, you've already planned, going, nah, this is what I always say. I know how this story ends up. This story mm. ends up with me passed out on the floor again. So yeah. you <coughs> you then preempt what's going to happen. And the same can be applied to so many areas in your life. Like, I mean, that's just one example of an alcoholic, but it might be just, oh, I'm just going to quickly open. Um, Go get that slushy from McDonald's. Yeah. Yeah. And I, will have, I end up having 30 McNuggets with it and a, and a, and a, and a double quarter pounder or whatever so um or even worse than that you know i know this leads to bad health and me being obese overweight and unhappy so you know you can give yourself consequences before you've done it to prevent yourself yeah taking those steps yeah definitely and like you said like that writing that down too is is very powerful powerful, you know like that okay like i want to go have mcdonald's write down all the negatives from mcdonald's now like yeah you'll have a couple of positives will taste good. You'll have a bit of a sugar hit, rah, rah, but then the negatives, you keep writing them down, then you, you know, I mean, it's cemented in, I gather. Yeah. Because yeah. you've seen it right There's my choices. You. There's two good things and <laughs> there's 35 bad things. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You put the two lists together of your ex-wife and your, and your, <laughs> and your burgers. <laughs> yeah. So, so, all right. Um, yeah, we've been going for, for a bit of time now, so mm-hmm. we'll start mm-hmm. to wrap it up. But I'd like mm-hmm. to... Um, if you could offer one bit of advice for you to offer to anyone um, that may have, um, well, for for your uh, negative things in your life, so for your brother dying, if there's one piece of advice you could offer someone that, that's lost a loved one. Mm. Yeah, so you know what? it's I've thought about this before and um, – as in that, I, don't, that doesn't, I mean, you, should, you probably think I should hope so, but <laughs> it's um, it really depends on the stage you're at, yeah. And we sort of discussed that earlier, like that grieving at the beginning is like, hey, there is no advice. You just got to go through it. Mm. You just got to feel the pain. All you're gonna know is it's gonna get better. It will get better. It won't. That's that's the first phase. I mean, I, I sort of touched on the phase that I'm at just recently. When it was just like you just got to go on with life. It's you know the show must go on. Um, we can we're here. We can still make a difference. Um, that if I said that to someone, the day after they'd lost someone, yeah, get a punch in the face. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So the advice is sort of dependent yeah. on 
the stage of grief that you're going through, I think. Yeah, uh, 100%. I so, definitely agree. So, um, yeah, I recently I, had a, a mate ring me up and he's, Mrs. A, he was a bit going to ask to like marry him. Mm. Like, just up and left, no question, like, just, you know. Yeah, right. And he rang me like that day and I was like, I know you do this shit, eh? Like, tell me what to do. And I was like, Bro, not not day one. Like, yeah, you know, there's yeah. nothing I can, yeah, you know no, what I mean? Like, just, just gotta, go just and sit with it for a bit. Yeah. And then, because nothing I'll say, you'll just be like, no, nah, that is. That's ridiculous. That's, yeah, yeah, that's right. So. Or you could have just said, oh, there's plenty more fish in the sea, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, oh, it's so yeah, funny. You uh, don't want to hear that. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's funny because um, I was watching a, do- I digress, I'll come back, but yeah. Uh, yeah. I was watching a, a documentary on, on fish because, <laughs> anyway. And there's, um, I think there's like 30,000 species of fish in the sea, right? Yeah. Um, and out of them 35,000, I think there's like 1,500 that we can that eat. we can eat. And out of that 1,500, there's only about five that I'd actually catch and take home to my parents, right? Yeah. And then, and also I think it's correct, out of that, there's about 1,000 that can actually kill you. Yeah. Yeah. So that's women, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I think the numbers are a little bit skewed, but I think it's more than a thousand. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, so when you look at it and say plenty of fish in the sea, when you look at that, then yeah, yeah that's, um, <laughs> that's a good there's analogy. No com- there's no yeah. comfort there at all. Yeah. Um, all right, well, yeah, uh, thanks for coming along. Adam, it's Thank been you. a very ins- interesting conversation. And um, is there any last minute thoughts that you'd like to? Tell people whether it's going through some grief or whether it's going through, you know, some financial hardships or anything like that. Is there any, any one last gold nugget that you like to tell the new Nirvana listeners? Um, I, th- I think with um, I think I read something the other day about being rich or being wealthy, and it was like quite interesting. I was like, what's the difference between being rich and being wealthy? And I think I mean, rich is you know just having a lot of money and a lot of things and a lot of assets, and wealthy is like not necessarily having that much money or any of that stuff, but having enough and being set up in a way that you can just enjoy life. Mm. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think when you realise what you actually need, you can just cut back and um, stop striving. Like I was at a period (coughs) in my life, um, I don't know if I'm fortunate or unfortunate that I had a lot of money at one stage. Um, No, it taught you a lot. It does torture you a lot, yeah. But I, at one stage, uh, I mean, when I first started out, I came from, well, we had a pretty humble family, like pretty, we didn't have a lot. I grew up in a caravan from you know, the first few years of my life. We didn't have a lot. So, um, but then I went through a stage and I was earned some money and I kept earning more and I made good decisions, not good financial decisions. Mm. Always <laughs> made bad other decisions in life. But uh, um, That's the balance. See? That's <laughs> it's what it's the balance there. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and then... I remember one day I was like living in my house up here in Sovereign Islands in a pretty like good area and I had my boat parked at the back with some jet skis and I remember thinking at one stage that there was like, I don't know if it was Dave popping in again to have a chat with me or whatever, but I remember thinking when I first got there, I was like, wow, I would never would have thought I'd be able to live like this. I would never would have thought that I would have, be so fortunate to living in such a nice house with all this at my doorstep and... I was just, you know, grateful. And then, I don't know, it was maybe six months later because I'd been in that house for a while now. I remember looking down the canal 
or was it actually the outside of the island? I was looking down, and there's a bloke down there who had a boat with a helicopter on the back. And I was like, oh, I wouldn't mind one of those. Then I'm like, hang on a second. When does this shit stop? <coughs> when do you stop wanting more shit? I can't even fly a helicopter. I don't like going up in them. What am I thinking that for? <laughs> Why do I want that? Why do I want that? That's yeah. just ridiculous. Yeah. It's just ridiculous. And they're sort of at that point when I realised, like, and then I, I, um, I had uh, my cars. I had three cars, a different scenario. Like I had like a BMW X5 for just taking the family around, Mercedes convertible for when I wanted to go out cruising, and yep. you know, like, and then I had a Jeep for just to go off roading with. It was just excessive. It was ridiculous. You know, what I mean, it's like I look back on it now. I go, what the hell was I thinking? Mm. Um, and then, like I said, I lost all my money and. And the house I was living in went from being like a palace just to just a normal house, which everybody has to live in. I was like, and I just had my car, one one car. It was a pretty average car, second-hand car. And um, I remember thinking after about six months, I was like, everything's okay. I was thinking because I was in my mind, I was like, oh, this is disastrous. I've lost all this money, blah, blah, blah. I was like, my car goes forward and backwards, gets me to where I need to go, so it keeps the rain out. And my house is comfortable the rooms are a bit smaller, cars a bit slower, but everything's the same. What yeah. am I? What am I worried about here? And then at that point, I was. I then realised I didn't need any of that stuff, so I didn't need it. So therefore, the importance I'd placed on it was just all in my own mind, mm. rather than and my friends, which was great, which is the best thing. All my friends that were there for the right reasons, they were still my friends, no difference. And then there was some that disappeared. And I was like, hey, you know, I found out something here. So, yeah. Um, it's, um, yeah, so that's my... No, that's, that's, that's interesting because <coughs> uh, there's been some studies done on, like, uh, money as, like, to equaling happiness, right? So once I think you get over, I think it's it's not a lot. I think it's, like, 80,000, mm. which means, you know, you've got enough to have, you know, a house or, you know what I mean, and to live comfortably... Anything over 80,000 a year does not affect your level of happiness at all. Mm. So, you know what I mean? Like, so what, what are you chasing for? People mm. think it's going to make you happy, but it's actually mm -hmm. not. Mm -hmm. And then I think it was Bob Marley that said that um, money is numbers and numbers are infinite, so you never, it'll never be enough. you never be right? enough. Yeah. So, yeah, um, yeah that's, uh, that definitely uh, resonates because I, I don't know, I see it in the mining industry all the time. Like, mm. you know, like these guys are making 100 plus and, it's never enough, and I'm like, well, studies show that you're you're at your level where making more is not going to make you any happier. Have you start looking at other areas to make your life happier? Yeah, you know, yeah maybe that's not the reason. It's, that's not the reason you think it is, because society wants us to think it is. So you buy more stuff. So you, yeah. that's the way capitalism works, right? Well, that's true. Because I think sometimes it's because it's just an easy, lazy way of thinking, thinking that money is going to bring you happiness. Because it's sometimes just easy <laughs> just to think, well, that's the answer. Unfortunately, happiness is much deeper and mm. requires more thought than just to go, hey, I want a couple more zeros in my bank account. If it was that easy, everyone would be happy. Mm. So it's not, it doesn't. And, and in my, I can only speak for myself, it really, mm. um, I've wasted a lot of time thinking that it, it, it makes me happy when uh, the only way that I realised it didn't was actually having it and then losing it and then a period of time and then one day just having a, an epiphany and just realising... I'm just as happy as I ever been. Yeah. I started with nothing. Yeah. 
and you'll go to the ground with nothing. Exactly, so. and all you're left with is memories. So. Yeah, uh, Jim Carrey actually said it. He goes, I, I, I really wish everyone could be rich and famous to know that's not the, that's not the answer. And I was like, mm. yeah. yeah, well, I'm fortunate. I mean, I'm not so famous I was, but I was... Um, I'm pretty sure I read somewhere today, mate, you won the international, uh, some cricket... Oh, Wisden International Cricket of the Year. Yeah, yeah. Cricket of the Year. Come on, man, that's pretty famous. Mate, she's <laughs> seen the women that were like try, trying to get a look at that trophy. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, "Have you got that Wisden International Cricket of the Year trophy floating around?" Anyway? <laughs> well, come back, come <laughs> back to my house, and I'll show you <laughs> with my convertible. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah we can awesome. listen to some um, some David Demartini that like, stuff <laughs> podcast on the way. <laughs> Uh, Adam, yeah. all right, mate. It's all been right. an absolute pleasure. Uh, thank you a lot. Uh, a right. lot of gold nuggets in there, and I yeah. uh, really appreciate your time, mate, for yeah. coming on. No and, worries. Um, Thanks for having me. I really yeah. enjoyed it. Cheers. Good on you, mate. Have a good one. Cheers. Thank you for listening to the Neuronavada podcast. If you like what you heard, please like and subscribe. Also, if you'd like to know a bit more about us, uh, jump on Instagram, Neuronavada underscore, and Neuronavada on Facebook. Also, if you'd like to check out our services and if we can help you in any way, jump on our website, neuronirvana.com.au.